One more thing that you should be aware of that's coming next week is going to be a special week of worship. Uh, the youth have been gathering and working on something secretly uh, to present to you all, and um, we're excited. We're excited to see what happens next Sunday. Uh, we've been working with Seth, um, and I don't try to say his last name because it's really confusing, uh, but, but Seth is a playwright and an actor, and so the youth have been writing a play. Um, and they're going to present that play in lieu of a sermon next week. Uh, So I tell you that knowing that this will draw you more to this place and uh, and draw uh, your friends, your family members, your... It should be amazing. Uh, It should be really, really eye-opening. We, we went about uh, writing this play uh, with certain guidelines, one of them being that it not be cheesy, so expect not cheesy, uh, and that it's not going to be your typical, not going to be your typical thing. You're going to see a lot of things you won't expect next Sunday. So I look forward to observing that. I, I was not cast in the play. Imagine all this talent, right? Right? Ah. Oh. Wasted, wasted. Um, it's better off without me, I'll tell you that. Let's pray as we look to God's word. Lord, do your work this morning. Uh, just do your work. What, whatever it is that is the next step for us uh, individually and corporately, just do your thing. Uh, lead us forward. Open our eyes, open our hearts, open our minds, direct us, um, be God, help us to be your people. For your glory, Jesus, amen. We continue today looking at the scriptures from John 8. Uh, 7 and 8 contain these uh, sort of repeated confrontations between Jesus and the authorities in the context of this great festival, the Festival of Booths. It's also called the Feast of Tabernacles, or the Festival of Tabernacles. Uh, This is an annual festival occurs in Jerusalem. And during this seven-day festival, the people of God all gathered. Uh, it, was a, it was a pilgrim festival. So they, some would gather. This would be their once-in-a-lifetime journey to Jerusalem. All the people of God gather to celebrate the way God provided for their ancestors while they uh, were wandering in the wilderness for 40 years before entering the Promised Land. They focused their worship and their, their praise of God and, uh, around uh, three primary provisions that God made. Uh, manna, water, and light. Uh, manna, of course, was the food, the what's it, what's it, <laughs> that God provided the people for all those years to eat, to sustain them in the wilderness. Water was, uh, if you read, you see that Moses struck a rock and water flowed out of a rock. Uh, This is an amazing providence of God. Uh, Water for the people. And then they would also celebrate light, the way God 
led them, guided them through the wilderness. A, a, a cloud of, of light by day and a pillar of fire at night. They were never without God's uh, directions for living. So Jesus comes along and he identifies himself. He kind of places himself right in the center of these celebrations. And it would be arrogant to do so if he weren't God in flesh. Okay, Um, Because he talks about himself as the bread of heaven. As the sustenance of God come down. And he says, uh, you'll eat my flesh and drink my blood. And he loses all these followers because of it. So he's talked about himself in terms of sustenance. He's also talked about himself in terms of water. He says, I'm living water. I I offer this living water that that will sustain you forever. It will fulfill you now and it will fulfill you eternally. And then finally today, he covers all three of these great celebrations during this festival. He talks about himself and he says, I am the light of of the world. This is John 8, verses 12 through 20. Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Then the Pharisees said to him, You are testifying on your own behalf. Your testimony is not valid. Jesus answered, Even if I testify on my own behalf, my testimony is valid. Because I know where I have come from and I know where I am going. But you do not know where I come from or where I am going. You judge by mere human standards. I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is valid. For it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law it is written that the testimony of two witnesses is valid. I testify on my own behalf, and the Father who sent me testifies on my behalf. Then they said to him, where is your father? And Jesus answered them, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. He spoke these words while he was teaching in the treasury of the temple. But no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. To call yourself the light of the world is to call yourself God. I, there's just no way around it, right? I, I mean, if you say I am the light of the world, you're either delusional and you need to go to the place where they give psychiatric care to people, or you're it. This is not an accidental reference, calling, your, calling Jesus, calling himself the light of the world. The Old, Old Testament contains references like this, referring to God and God's Messiah. Consider these Isaiah passages. Yes, Isaiah writes, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who lived in a land of deep darkness, on them light has dawned. 
I have given you as a covenant to the people, a light to the nations. Or this one. It is too small a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the survivors of Israel. I will give you as a light to the nations that my salvation may reach the ends of the earth. Jesus knows that he and his father are one. He knows that he is the father's unique son. So Jesus uses these words previously reserved for God himself, for himself. I am the light of the world. When Jesus was a baby, we read in Luke chapter 2 that Simeon, who'd been promised he would see God's salvation, Simeon took baby Jesus in his arms and he said these words out loud. Master, now you are dismissing your servant in peace, according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for your glory to your people Israel. Jesus calls himself the light. Now, it would be entirely respectable for Jesus or really anybody who is a light to refer to themselves as a light. Uh, we teach our children to sing, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Uh, my kids love hiding under a bushel and, and blowing it out and, uh, and all of that. We can all be a light, but Jesus calls himself the light the unique light of the world. Jesus is wisdom personified, guidance with skin on. I mean, what topic does Jesus miss in his teaching? What realm is he silent on? What rescue does Jesus fail to make for us? And Jesus' self-disclosure is personal for us. Even as he says, I am the unique light. He tells us personally, whoever follows me, if you follow me, you will never walk in darkness, but you will have the light of life. When was the last time you experienced total darkness? Darkness just isn't a thing anymore, is it? You have to choose darkness, don't you? I can't remember the last time that I experienced total darkness when I wasn't in the comforts of my own home, where the light switch wasn't just right there and I could turn on the light and get rid of the darkness. So much so that when... when we walk around our homes in the dark or when it's poorly lit. And if you're like me, sometimes you'll jam your toe on something. What do you, what do you curse? Uh, not what swear word do you use, but I mean, what do you get mad about? Uh, 
We get mad that we didn't turn the light on, right? I'll say, I'm so stupid. Turn the light on and look around. The ancients didn't do this. The ancients cursed the darkness. The ancients cursed the darkness because they didn't have the instant power all the time at their disposal. Just flick on the light and reveal where they are going. For them, darkness was more than just stubbed toes and and bruised shoulders. Darkness was a real threat. Genuine life and limb problems lurked in the darkness. Real danger lay in the darkness. Uncertainty, disorientation, and insecurity are darkness. Jesus is the light. Jesus is the light. He declares himself to be the solution to darkness, insecurity, danger, and disorientation. His light conquers the darkness. He lights the way. He pierces the darkness. Psalm 139 has been on my mind this week. Listen, listen to part of this, of this psalm uh, while celebrating Christ as the light. You know this psalm. It says, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. Now, the psalmist doesn't want to run, around, want to run away from God. What he's saying is, even if I wanted to, I couldn't get away from you. You're here. If I went to the highest place, heaven, you're there. If I went to the lowest place, even the place of death, you're there. If I take the wings of the morning and settle on the farthest limits of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me fast. The psalmist is looking out to sea and he's contemplating that place where the sun dips down. And he says, if I were to take flight and go to that place, that far off place, you'd be there guiding me, leading me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light around me become night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as the day for darkness is as light to you. Even in physical blackout, God is light. Now Jesus says, I am. I am the light of the world. I am the fulfillment of every hope and desire that God may be life-giving, protecting, clarity-producing, wisdom-bestowing. I am the light of this world. Just as Jesus claims to be the exclusive light, he also claims to be the inclusive light. Jesus is the light of the world. 
He's not light for some. He's not light for the chosen. He's not light for those who've always behaved and gotten A's. He's light for the world. It's an inclusive claim. And we might blush at this because relativism reigns, right? Uh, I'm okay. You're okay. It is what it is. Potato, potato, fiddly-dee. However you put it, relativism reigns these days. We don't like exclusivity. We don't like the idea that Jesus says there's one way and I am the way. There's one way for everyone and I am that way. In fact, some of you, many people have asked me, is Christ in other religions? Can, can God be seen, really seen in, in other religions? I mean, this person that I know is loving and caring and kind, kinder than some Christians that, that I know, and yet he's fill in the blank. Buddhist, Muslim, Hindu. Can Christ be found there? And I say, well, if he is found there, it's only a reflection. It's only a shadow. Certainly, if there is any light, if there's any true light in any other faith community other than one that declares Christ is and is the light, then that light comes from Christ because Christ is the light of the world. But even if we knew, even if we knew somehow by some miracle of revelation that, that other world religions uh, produce some glimmer of Christ's light in them, it wouldn't change anything about us, would it? Because why would we pursue a glimmer or a shadow when we have the actual real deal right here? The light of the world. And why would we ever uh, sort of in, in the face of a searching heart, say, you're fine right where you are. You can go really anywhere you choose because you'll find God in all of these above options. When we know that the source, we have access to the source, the true light of this world. Now we can apologize and we should probably do more apologizing for the rudeness and violence of past followers of Christ who, with best intentions, carried out Christ's initiative to, to go and make disciples of all nations using terrible practices, disrespectful practices, dehumanizing practices. We need to apologize. We should probably apologize more. But we cannot dilute the claims of Christ. And we cannot dilute Christ himself. He is the light of the world. He is unequivocating. Jesus' contemporaries weren't so sure. Some of them were downright angry with him for this claim he made. And you can understand why. It's hard to believe. It's hard to imagine that it's true. Faith is difficult. One serious group, the Pharisees, bring up a valid criticism. They say, Jesus, you're testifying on your own behalf. You're giving self-testimony. This is invalid in every court in the world. Every viable, normal court in the world does not allow the person who's accused to stand up on trial and say, look it, I didn't steal the bubble gum. Oh, okay, fine. If you said it, then it's good. No, self-testimony doesn't go, it's not worth anything. Several times throughout the years, uh, one of you or two of you or three, half a dozen of you will come to me and you'll say, I need a reference. 
I, I need, can I include you as a, as a reference? I'm applying to a job, or I, I need a character reference, or maybe it's a Christian school you're applying to, because you can't just go to an employer or a school and say, hey, I'm a good Christian man. I'm a good Christian woman. This is what I've done. This is what I do. No, it doesn't do any good. But if you have a, witness, a couple witnesses corroborating and saying, yeah, he's, he's an okay guy. Yeah, she does all right. Oh, that holds weight. That holds water. So they say, Jesus, you're making these claims, and they're not just little claims, they're radical claims. They're worthless. Because you're just talking about yourself. How does Jesus answer them? How does he respond? Well, first of all, he doesn't deny that he's giving self-testimony. He says, that's exactly what I'm doing. Yep, I'm doing it. But he gives two factors within this reality that we can think about deeply. He says, I have a heavenly source and a heavenly destination. And I also have the co-testimony, the corroborating testimony of God the Father. First, he says, I know where I've come from and I know where I'm going. And also the Father who sent me testifies on my behalf. I know where I'm going. I know where I come from and I know where I'm going. Now, how would this sort of make self-testimony okay? Well, he's claiming to be from God and of God. And so if you've got a God in flesh, maybe you should listen to him. But it doesn't fix the problem that he's talking all by himself, about himself, for himself. So we can remain suspicious if we like. But then Jesus says, the Father also testifies on my behalf. It's a silent witness, if you will. He's declaring that the Spirit of God corroborates Jesus' words even as he speaks. This too can't be proven, can it? It You can't prove that God does this by his Spirit. But you can see it happening. It's happened for centuries as people like you have, have, have shared, God is that he loves you. I don't know what you've heard about God in the past, but God thinks you're amazing because he made you. Right there, as you speak the wisdom that comes from Jesus, God's spirit corroborates your witness for the person that's listening to you. When you say out loud, God is good, and someone can hear you, God's Spirit is whispering, He's right. And that's why, for centuries, the, the realm of Christ followers has grown and grown. Because faith happens as we hear the truth of who Jesus is. And the Spirit of God comes and corroborates and gives us confidence and actually gives us the faith to say, yes, He is. Yes, He loves. Yes, He redeems. This reality makes the hearers of Jesus' word, people like you and me, doubly culpable 
when we don't heed the message. It's the scary dark side to this truth that Jesus is sharing. When Jesus says, I am the light of the world, and we say, I appreciate what you're saying, but I am going to go ahead and light my lamp and head this way, we're not just sort of turning our back on Jesus. We're also turning our back on God the Father, who while Jesus is saying, I am the light of the world, God the Father is saying, He is. He is. He's mine. We're doubly culpable when we turn our back on Christ's word. So Jesus is stuck defending himself without calling any human to the stand. This makes sense, kind of philosophically, I guess. Nothing unequal to God can defend God. Right? How can a mere human defend God? It's impossible. God must self-testify because there's nothing in no one who can authoritatively testify on his behalf. Everything other than God comes from God. How can the created turn to the creator and, and convince all the other createds that he is? God alone can do this. God alone chooses to do this, which is his amazing grace. The nature of light itself reveals the necessity of self-testimony. I love Jesus. The Old Testament listeners and writers, the Old Testament prophets uh, who spoke God's word as revealed uh, to them, didn't just sort of stumble upon this notion that God is, is the light of the world, that God's saving is a bringing of light to the world. Jesus didn't sort of stumble upon this. This is a deep and lasting metaphor, if you will. What reveals light? We know that light reveals things, right? I mean, I can see your face because of light. The unnatural lights here in the room, and if we turned all of them off, guess what would reveal our face? The sun, ultimately. Light reveals things. But what reveals light itself? Light alone reveals light. We only know there is light because we see light and we see each other. Jesus declares himself to be the light of the world. The metaphor itself, the image itself, necessitates self-revelation. So Jesus tells his accusers rightly, you are judging by human standards. The nature of self-testimony, yeah, it's, that's a good rule. It's a good human standard. But I am the light of the world. I'm different. I'm qualitatively different. I'm quantitatively different. With God, self-testimony is necessary. Jesus' source and future destination validate his qualifications to self-testimony, and God sends his spirit to corroborate his testimony about himself. I found myself a little bit disappointed this week. I don't know if you are. Um, a little disappointed that, uh, that Jesus didn't take this opportunity to, just in a really neat way, 
in a way that would be scientifically provable. (laughs) Just sort of say, here's how I am the light of the world. Here's how it all makes sense from a very human uh, perspective. But at the same time, I recall authors like Luther and Calvin. Luther himself said, if you understand God, then you don't know God. If you understand him, you don't have him. It's like Jesus has an opportunity here to take faith out of the equation, right? To say, here's how it is, and, and to say it in a way that would, would not require us to believe, but to just like receive based on vision or something easier than faith, because faith is hard. But he says, here's how it is. It's, it's, I, I, God is so other. You have to have faith. And if we do have faith, if God gives us this ability to say yes to him, this faith, this ability to, to, to believe what we cannot see, then we receive the light of life. This eternal quality and quantity of life. Real life. Satisfying life. Deeper than any offer of happiness any human being can give. We shouldn't be surprised that the light of the world, who gives us the light of life, will lead us by that light in ways that might not be completely comfortable, might not be totally fashionable, we might be led down a socially countercultural path. We might be led down ethical roads that are countercultural. We might live economically in a radically different way than our neighbors. But this real life continues and flourishes and grows as we wrap our arms around the upside down world the upside-down kingdom of God's love. Jesus calls himself the light of the world, the light of the world. When we feel lost, (laughs) confused, um, when we feel an inner darkness, not an outer one, but a more tragic inner darkness, do we turn to Christ as our light? Or do we blame the light? Are we following this light of the world, this saving one, this leading one, this guiding one, this this wisdom-granting one? Are we following the light of the world in our ordinary lives? As we walk the, the halls of our schools, as we walk the streets of our cities, as we sit in our living rooms and in our kitchens and work in our kitchens and sit in our dining rooms, are we following the light of the world? In what ways are we closing our eyes to the light? In what ways do we uh, position ourselves in opposition to the light of the world? What step of faith do you need to make this morning?
Let's pray together. Lord, we pray this morning that in right now we would be able to simply take in the, the vista of your extraordinary love, to take in the truth of it and receive it personally again. We return again right now to the waterfall of your abounding love. Teach us this day and this week how to live according to your light according to the light of life you give to us and according to who you are as the light of this world. So be it, Lord. Let it be. Amen.